This is the Star Coach Show with Meg Rentschler, episode 323. Let's face it, conflict is a part of life. And being a coach doesn't make you immune to having conflict or engaging in conflictual communication. How do we do so in such a way that it forwards the communication, that we're really listening and engaging? And how do we help our clients engage in difficult conversation? That's what my guest and I are going to dive into today. Join me as I have a rich discussion with the Mindset Doc, Dr. Deborah Dupree, about are you talking or communicating? Welcome to Star Coaches, the show for professional coaches that brings you coaching strategies, tools, and resources. Whatever your focus or niche, take a front seat weekly as industry leaders, decision makers, and innovators share their wisdom and expertise on the ins and outs of successful coaching. Now join your host, Meg Rinchler, as she connects you with your star coaching potential. Hello and welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. We have an important topic that we're focused on today. And I just want to let you know that I know that there are a ton of podcasts out there. And you being a listener of the Star Coat Show, whether this is your very first time or whether it's your 323rd time, I'm just delighted that you're here. If you are new to the show, you don't know me, you don't know about the show. I'm Meg Rentschler. I've been an executive coach and a coach mentor for over 14 years, really helping leaders use coaching in their leadership style to empower their people and to help coaches get the barriers out of their way so that they can boldly step into the world and offer their coaching so that the world can be impacted by what coaching brings. So whether those barriers are, I don't know how to build a business, or whether that barrier is, you know, how do I continually build my skills so that I am confident and I am certain that I'm stepping into the coaching partnership in a way that forwards my clients' growth and well-being, those are the kinds of things that I work with coaches around. And part of that is in this Star Coach show, where every week we talk about some strategy, tool, or resource to help you forward your coaching. So whether you are just deciding whether or not you want to be a coach, you're in coach training, you've been coaching for a couple years, or you've been coaching for decades, you are in the right place. I'm delighted to have you here. And in today's show, we're talking about that important concept of communication. We are hopefully, you know, well-versed in many forms of communication as coaches. And the reality is human beings sometimes have conflict. We think we see things different ways. We engage through different processes, and we can maybe even be blind to what the other person is offering. My guest today is known as the Mindset Doc. Dr. Deborah Dupree strives to make a difference in the lives of people by providing insight and vision 
that helps them leverage the conflict mindset to gain new perspectives and opportunities because there are always new perspectives and and opportunities to consider when we're trying to resolve conflict and improve our communication. Deborah has a vast history of experience. She's been uh, the former director of training for Mediation Training Institute, MTI. She worked directly with Dr. Dan Dana, who is a forerunner in the field of dispute resolution, training attorneys and human resource professionals in workplace mediation. So she's done this a long time. She brings a wealth of experience. And we're going to dive into what do we need to think about when we're engaging and using our emotional intelligence to truly communicate versus just talk at people. Deborah is the host of the Decoding the Conflict Mindset podcast, and she brings it here. She actually is even going to give us an example of a technique that she uses and give us a demonstration. So this is a rich interview with rich resources attached to it. I'm so excited that you're here. Let's go to my interview with Dr. Deborah Dupree. Dr. Deborah Dupree, welcome to the Star Coach Show. I am delighted to have you here. Well, thank you so much, Meg, for inviting me. And I'm thrilled to have the opportunity to share some ideas and to expand our minds. Exactly. We had such a good time in our pre-interview that, you know, we had to get back together for the interview. Uh, You are known as the Mindset Doc. What has led you to having that title? Well, that is an interesting question. I, I knew that I always had a lifelong goal of getting my doctorate degree. And my prior degrees had all been in psychology, so I guess it wasn't too surprising that I went back and got my doctorate degree to further my understanding of psychology. And and so having you know done that just within you know uh, the last decade, I had already had sort of a reputation, a background, you know, of of talking about how we think and and how you know how we show up and the emotions that drive our thinking. And and so I was sort of known for that. And somebody said, well, so you really just work with the mindset. Well, you know, you could be called the mindset doc now. You know, <laughs> so I was like, you know what? I like that. I really That's like right. that. I'll take you up on I'll that one. It. I'll take it. Love it. So with that, I want everyone to kind of be prepared to have a discussion around mindset around emotional intelligence, how we are engaging even through conflict or maybe uh, in understanding that conflict is going to arise for people. How mm-hmm. are we engaging in those conversations? And um, we start with this concept of we need to start in a place of knowing ourselves. What is it that we need to think about when it's when it's through the lens of know yourself. That's an excellent place to start. And um, I, I think it's important um, to illustrate that point by sharing just a little story from my own background and uh, what, what has really influenced my whole course of action throughout life and my passion about wanting to help people get out of their own way. Okay. And um, so first of all, I grew up in a large family of nine kids. And I was on the younger end. And the the last three of us, there was a big gap between the older six and the younger three. And so I literally grew up with 
uh, as the three little kids, you are to be seen and not heard. Okay. So I did a lot of watching, a lot of observing, but I really didn't know how to express myself. And I was found it even interesting as a young child about, I somehow had the ability to see things that other people weren't seeing in the midst of their confrontations and their conflict communications. And, um, and so when I first stumbled into the field of psychology, I was just like mesmerized, you know, uh, oh my gosh, they they actually know about this stuff. They talk about this stuff and they can do something about this stuff. I found side, my people. Uh, yes, yes, I found my people. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, but the other thing about that too, um, and why I'm so drawn to people in business is that I also grew up in a family owned business uh, run by my father and my grandfather. Two very, very different men uh, in terms of their temperaments and personalities. And, and so again, I saw the the conflict and the the challenges that erupted between two business partners and the differences that emerged in how to run the business. And so um, I get, got my feet wet very early in life about you know business dealings, business operations, business partnerships. And uh and so again, those things have always been with me. So I have sort of a dual background in both the counseling, coaching side of things but also in organizational development teams and, and things like that, leadership styles and so forth. And so when we talk about knowing ourselves, to me, you know, we, well, we all have traumas, big, small, you know, all kinds of shapes and sizes, and many of them do originate uh, in our childhood. And so it's really important to start with that deeper dive into self to say, what really fuels me? What really drives my interests, my passions? What stimulates me to see the world that I see? And sometimes, so by taking a a deeper look at ourselves first, then we have a sense of self that we can then use strategically if we then learn how to apply it appropriately. And the other thing about that too, is that in the study of self, then we also necessarily include the study of others. And uh, we can actually use this self-reflection to apply to our emotional intelligence and developing our awareness of others and our ability to sense where people are coming from. So it really enhances the whole mindset, but also Mm -hmm. our ability to communicate effectively, speaking in the same language as somebody else, even though we may be very different people. And I don't mean literal language. I mean, you know, communication styles and things like that. Right. So a couple things. First of all, you said the more aware of how you know yourself, you could be more strategic in your approach moving forward. So you shared an example of of knowing yourself as a child, knowing where you came from, how things were firing for you. How did that knowledge then, using you as an example, help you be strategic in the way that you move forward? Excellent question, um, because it really is about strategically moving forward. And so by ha- having developed this deeper understanding of self and some of the factors that contributed to the way I saw things, I also d- developed appreciation that not everybody sees things the way I do. And so um, learning that it doesn't have to be a, a conflict, because conflict is inevitable, and it's going to happen anytime um, two people have different thoughts, beliefs, ideas, you know, um, and so forth. And so, uh, and this is where I go back to the emotional intelligence. And one of my, my statements I like to say is, you know, I work with people to transform challenging confrontations into learning conversations. And so by, when I talk about strategic, recognizing that I don't care how intelligent I am, you know, how smart I am, how educated I am, I am only going to see so much out of any given situation. 
And so it's not that I'm right and you're wrong. It's just that you see things differently. So that's the shift in mindset right there. So when you understand your perspective, you can understand that others might have a different perspective. And that's, that's learning, that's growth, that's moving beyond just what you can see through your lens. Exactly, exactly. And so now, um, you know, by by adopting that mindset, and, you know, using my emotional intelligence, I can use these differences, not for conflict, not for confrontation. But instead, what can I learn from you? Because you do see things differently. You know, what might I gain from taking a look at things from your lens, rather than just my lens? And that's now where we start having conversations. You know, we're showing courage to have that conversation. We're showing curiosity and understanding where somebody else is coming from. Which is where we move into when we better know ourselves, we can step into the place of knowing others. So one of the things you said there was letting down the belief that this is the way I see it. So it's the only way Um, that this is a way to see it. This is my perspective based upon my experiences, my model of the world, whatever we want to, however we want to frame that. What do we need to think about when we step into a place of knowing others? Well, you know, again, by, by understanding ourselves, then we can build our own confidence, you know, and I know who I am you know, and I feel good about who I am. But I also come with the mindset, I always want to learn, live and grow. And so um, by by stepping into then knowing others, we can glean um, knowledge, information, increased awareness about what others have done, what they've experienced, how they see things. And, and it's okay to have differences of perspective that we may not agree on. And so it really strengthens not only our own sense of self, but it does strengthen um, the other's sense of self as well. So it's about having conversations that leave people intact rather than decimated. Oh, wow. Well, and part of what you do is you do mediation, right? Mm -hmm. And I can imagine that you work with people who are like, at least at the onset of mediation, I'm sure you've had at least one or more that they're pretty set in their side of the story, like where they're, they've planted a stake in the ground. And if I'm right, that means you have to be wrong. And I'm just wondering through this lens that you're helping us see through how, when you've got Maybe you're a coach who's working with a team and you've got two people on that team who have just planted a stake in a different place. And Deborah, what would you say is as ways to open open that dialogue, maybe to get people instead of just talking, communicating, which is one of the things you pointed out earlier? Yeah, yeah. Well, in that regard, um, you know, I'm sure there are many, but two that come into my mind right now. Uh, I have to admit, I don't know how I came up with this, but it, I've had it for several years, but I have a an exercise, a technique called the 360 degree perspective. And, um, and so I, I have a short, you know, YouTube, uh, video on my YouTube channel that demonstrates this. I eventually used my early COVID years putting all of my tips and tricks into videos because I great use of the COVID years. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so it's great because now anybody can have access to it. And so I, I actively demonstrate the 360 degree perspective when I am working with people who are in dispute, in conflict, are, you know, strongly held views that are different from each other because it does open up their mind to say, Oh, I never thought of it that way, you know, uh, 
And, you know, if you have time, if you want me to show it to you, I'd be happy to. Um, Well, what we'll do, if it's okay with you, is if you could give me the link, we'll be sure to supply the link in the show notes so that people, when they're done with this interview, can actually see you demonstrating this technique. That would be great. That would be great. Yes. Um, The other thing, quite frankly, I do is that when I'm working with somebody and they have strongly held beliefs or positions that are impeding their ability to move forward in whatever that relationship is, whether it's a working relationship, a business partnership relationship, a home relationship, whatever that is. I quite frankly, you know, insert a little humor and I'll I'll look at, I say, okay, I hear what, you know, you feel very strongly about this and I hear you feel very strongly about this. And it seems that you've sort of reached an impasse. And then I'll look at each of them and I'll go, how's that working for you? And they, they go, it's not. It's like, okay, great. Now it's an opportunity to do things different. It's not that what you've been doing is wrong. It's just not helping you get where you want to go in this relationship. I love that concept of, I don't need to make you wrong Mm -hmm. for you to consider other options. Uh, You don't have to, you know, this isn't, because I think that sometimes that dynamic is you're wrong and I'm right versus are we being effective here? Whether we're right or wrong, do we want to be right? Do we want to be effective? And how could we step into a place of effectiveness without shaming or making others wrong? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because, you know, someone being right, someone being wrong, there's always a winner and a loser. And, you know, if you just embrace the concept of mediation, it's not about winning or losing. It's about collaborating to come up with a new solution. And that's where, you know, let's hear your ideas. Let's hear your ideas. And out of that shared space can actually come new ways of thinking. So I like to, you know, encourage people to think about things on a continuum. Little is there black and white, right and wrong. There's a whole big space in there that's different. And uh, sure, there are, there can be polarization. But again, how's that working for you? Exactly. You know, is it impeding with relationships and what you want to get done? And so by by saying, you know, how might you look at things differently? You know, you've heard what the other person said, what ideas come up for you? So I get them back into, get them out of their emotional part of their brain and get them back into the prefrontal cortex where we do think and we can vision and we can see things. And, and uh, I also use, you know, pausing and spacing and uh, quiet time in order to allow them time to reflect. I, I ask people to write things down. What did you just hear the other person say? And so now they have to think about that. And so, uh, you know, it's a combination of where we go in the brain, hence the mindset doc, um, right. you know, and, and how we can influence and redirect the brain when people are at odds. I love that because part of what I heard there is bringing in the different aspects of adult learning. As adult learners, we, you know, sometimes we hear, we see, we need to write down, we need Mm -hmm. to read sometimes. I mean, there's like all those different learning angles. And, And you mentioned the hijack. So maybe this is a good place to talk a little bit about what happens when we're emotionally hijacked to our ability to be reflective, to be aware of nonverbals, to be connected. Are we listening or are we just waiting for the other person to shut up so we can talk? I mean, like, (laughs) (laughs) so can you talk, talk a little bit about what happens when we're hijacked? Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, it's all tied to our drive to survive, our fight, flight, freeze, and now we've learned of a fawn approach to things. And, um, you know, we're still biologically hardwired pretty much the same way we were when, you know, with our prehistoric predecessors. Uh, Our threats, our dangers are entirely different for the most part than what, you know, back in the days of the dinosaurs. Um, But we still have this very reactive component. And so what happens is that, you know, what we see and what we hear actually represents about 93% of our communication. And if we think about what we see and what we hear, it actually goes back to the occipital and audio lobes at the back of our brain. And so it is a little understanding of the brain structure as well. Mm -hmm. And I'll keep it very simple here. Uh, But at the base of our brain is our brain stem, our automatic, our autonomic um, part of our brain that keeps us running. Okay. And so what we see and what we hear are hitting back here in our closest to the automatic brain. The automatic brain starts sending signals down into our body, but also back up through our brain. We first hit the amygdala. The amygdala produces adrenaline. Get going, you know, and that could be positive or it could be negative, you know, Mm -hmm. and then from there, the signal goes into the, um, the, the amygdala is on the surface of the limbic brain. And then into the limbic brain, that is our emotional center. That's where we process our anger, our fear, our sadness, you know, our love, all of that in different regions of the the brain. But when our limbic brain is uh, activated, we start to produce cortisol. Cortisol is actually our stress brain hormone. Mm -hmm. And we can literally be flooded with too much cortisol when the triggers are that significant, where it can immobilize us or to react in ways that may not be the healthiest or safest. And so this goes back to self-understanding then. It's just by understanding a little bit about the brain and how do I react when I'm triggered? Mm-hmm. Where do I feel it? We all, you know, that, that the pit in the stomach, that rapid right. heartbeat, that shallow breathing. Hot cheeks, well, yes. Yes, yeah. Those mm-hmm. are all examples of the physiological reactions to being triggered. Mm-hmm. What happens in the brain then is that if we react in the moment, we are literally reacting from a limbic moment, you know, the emotional hijack, um, and we're not accessing our prefrontal cortex is way up here. So if you think about the brainstem, the amygdalism there, and then the limbic brain, and then the prefrontal cortex is up here. So they're this kind is, of moving all the way up from, be, you know, from the top of the spine all the way to the top of the head. Right, right. And so unless we learn, um, again, about self-awareness about how we're triggered, where do we experience it, and then learn self-management. You know, if I'm a highly reactive person, I need to slow down. I need to be able to take a few deep breaths. I need to allow enough time for those brain signals to get through that emotional mess, that right. chocolate mess in there up here. And um, and when I engage people you know, through this little process or have them go to an experience of when they recall having been reactive versus when they've taken the time to slow down, they can see it. It's just a matter of seconds and they can see the difference. And so that's what I try to help people teach people then is, you know, those self-management techniques so that we can come back in strategically to the situation or to the conversation um, and, and using our cognitive skills, our rational skills, our analytical skills, but knowing that we've been emotionally triggered. Love that. I love that that you gave the technique also. So if, as a coach, if you can t- anchor somebody into their experience that felt more successful, less reactive, more 
strategic, however, and also help them remember a time that they really were hijacked and what's the difference there and, and get them maybe even to relive a little bit about what were you thinking differently? How did you respond differently? That can be a real learning moment that brings things from being just transactional to being more transformational. Now I learn more about how do I engage in this? So good. And we all get hijacked, right? I mean, it's not like, oh, I'm above that. I never get hijacked. No, we all get hijacked. That even the visual of are you giving it enough time to move up into mm. the pre the prefrontal is is pretty awesome. I mean, just even that kind of visual of give it time, give it time, sort of like, you know, when your phone's downloading, give it time, give it time. (laughs) You're still downloading, give it time. Yeah, yeah. And it's, uh, you know, uh, I want people to understand too, this doesn't take a long time. These are nanoseconds, you know, of the neural impulses going through our brain. But it's so that's, it's just giving that moment to pause and just take that deep breath because that will slow down the heart rate. It will expand the lungs and it will give enough time for it to get up to the prefrontal cortex. Right. We're not talking a half a day. We'll meet again. Like, yeah, Yeah. but, but that immediate responsiveness versus take a breath. I love take a breath, take a pause. We all know as coaches that silence can be our friend, that Mm -hmm. pausing can be incredibly powerful in the coaching space. This is Mm -hmm. just one more place to use that. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. We'll return to the interview in just a moment. How often are you overwhelmed or confused about what you need to do to really get the traction you want in your business? Are you wondering, do I have to have a perfect website? What about my logo? What am I going to call myself? And all these things get so big that it gets in the way of you even reaching out and letting people know what it is that you're doing now, or the fact that you are building a coaching business, whether it's on the side, full-time, or as a retirement business, the reality is 82% of coaches who try to start their own businesses fail. And that is not okay on my watch. I believe that we need to bring our coaching impact into the world. And in order to do that, we need to create thriving businesses. That's why people join the Star Coach member community to be a part of that leverage to get clarity and get traction into building the businesses that you want to have to create the impact you need in the world. So whether it's a lack of confidence in your skills or complete confusion about what to do to move forward, or you're just wanting to lever up to the next level, join us in the Star Coach community. Go to starcoachshow.com on the front page, explore the community. I look forward to seeing you there. So as we think about having learning conversations versus just telling conversations, uh, part of that I think is being tapped into the people that we're with. And, mm-hmm. and when you're when you 
think about helping people work through conflict. How important is being reflective and paying attention to nonverbals? Where do those fit into the picture? Yeah, I will share with people that um, what I've learned over the years, and I've been at mediation for uh, almost as long as I've been in mental health, but, uh, uh, and I actually have learned a lot more about people in mediation than I won't say more than I did in in counseling psychology and all that, but um, I learned a lot more about people in conflict in uh, uh, through my mediation training and, and now my experiences. And so, um, when we're we're talking about dealing with people and, and changing the direction, I teach a lot to attorneys and professional mediators all the time about how to read body language. You know, if you're looking up, that's sort of more of a hopeful kind of, you know, oh, you know, you're looking out there to see that vision versus looking down. And that's sort of like despair, sadness, um, I mean, it's hopeless, you know. And so just even learning basics like that, a lot of it's in the eyes. You know, I, I, is that fire dancing? You know, you, can you see the, the the roar of the fire in the eyes? Because that's reflective of the, the limbic brain being so activated. And so one of the things I do in mediation and to prepare people to not only deal with their own stuff, but to prepare to deal with the other person's stuff, where they're coming from, I do pre-mediation. And that could be one, two, or three um, sessions you know, anywhere from 30 minutes to maybe an hour. And that's just part of my process because otherwise we could go into mediation and be so unprepared to engage in a deeper conversation about the dispute at hand, we can't get through. Well, and, and it um, just, I would think, makes things uh, go downward instead of being able to meet at a baseline and move up. Right. Right, right. And uh, and so that's a big change in the field of mediation because when I started, you know, 30 plus years ago, now I am dating myself. We didn't have any contact with the parties before mediation. So we had to spend time sorting through what's going on here. Um, but I find that the mediation goes so much smoother, better, much more satisfying for the participants and reaching resolution with increased frequency. So the preparation for mediation then includes um, some of that knowing self and then also knowing others. So I do have what I call three steps to mindset shift. I have people engage on with three short online assessments from my website, and then we sort of go through the results. And if it's if it's two people in a you know a, a personal relationship, or if it's in a team of people, we actually talk about the results together, so that we can see similarities but also differences. And mm-hmm. I spend a lot with communication styles because I see a lot of conflict um, erupting, particularly with two two uh, communication styles. And it's sort of that old, uh, you know, opposites attract, mm-hmm. and they do. And and yet, unless we learn how to work with those opposite uh, features, uh, they can become very conflictual. And I've seen a lot of relationships break down uh, because of their inability to overcome those differences. And so, just teaching people some basics about behavior, how we express ourselves through our actions and our, our tone, volume, and inflection, uh, speak volumes. And then teaching them also, okay, how can we pause, uh, recognizing when you're triggered. And so I try to bring that to people's awareness before we actually go into a joint session where we're going to you know, get deeper into the conflict. It's just a pretty incredible process. It sounds incredible. Well, and I and I just see wheels going around for the audience around, you know, 
because sometimes we are working within teams or we're working with a leader who maybe is having a hard time engaging with somebody on her team or uh, we're working as relationship coaches. This is key to to that kind of concept. Life coaches, all of you are dealing, their conflict comes up. One of the things that become apparent to me is, is when I work with somebody who's relatively low emotional intelligence, Mm -hmm. he or she is not picking up on the nonverbals in the room. They're Mm -hmm. not picking up on how others, you know, I might see, oh, we're, you know, something's escalating or something's about to, and, and there's just an obliviousness, I think, because, you know, it's the lens is turned within instead of without, but how important is helping people be able to read a room, be able to read nonverbals and and read what other people are offering when it comes to having really productive conversations. Yeah. You know, we all come into life with a, a natural level of intellectual intelligence and uh, our upbringing influences much of our emotional intelligence development. And that's why, you know, I do go back to childhood traumas and things like that. We learn a lot. Mm-hmm. you know, from our, our parental engagements and so forth. The good news, while our IQ doesn't really change over time, our EQ, emotional intelligence, we can learn to develop that. And so that's that's the beauty. We're not stuck, you know, in whatever level of emotional intelligence we might be. We can grow and learn with that. And, um, uh, and particularly in leadership, um, you know, the ability for a leader to be able to to read the room of the team of people. And, you know, there's two things I'd like to say about that is that, you know, there can be highly successful leaders, you know, who can take their companies far, who don't have high emotional intelligence, but they're also the kinds of leaders who don't last. Mm. Okay, there's a pretty high turnover in CEOs. And oftentimes it's that um, it's around the inability to really connect with the people of the organization. And in a way, you know, throughout this country, maybe throughout the world, we've spent a lot of time focusing on the hard numbers of profits and losses and um, didn't give a lot of attention to our people for quite mm-hmm. a long time. And that's been a real awakening, you know, in the post COVID era is that people aren't putting up with old ways of doing business. And uh, a lot of leaders are having difficulty um, adapting to that. And so, you know, they always say the best leader is uh, someone who doesn't have all the answers, but knows how to get the answers and knows how to tap into the people around them to generate safe conversations that ideas can unfold and emerge and percolate. And and, and then now we have a, a group of people generating ideas and the best ideas come out of that. And the, a good leader knows how to do that, knows his people a little bit individually um, around this whole EQ area. And uh, it's just much richer relationships. People are much more highly satisfied in their relationships, particularly with their leaders when they, they, they see that kind of environment. And these are things that are learnable and teachable. So you know, when we think about the different kinds of conversations that we have with with our clients, some of that might be stepping into some of the teaching that Deborah's mm-hmm. talking about and seeing how does that resonate with them? What does that bring up for them? Because we know that emotional intelligence is key to success. And yet, it's one of those phrases that's used a lot. And I don't know that there's always understanding about what exactly is involved in that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 
Yeah. Well, I, I um, take it back to the basics of what uh, Dr. Daniel Goleman um, identified in his book um, back when was it, uh, Emotional Intelligence, I think back in the 90s, early 2000s. I should know this, but I don't. Anyway, he's still very much alive and well. And, yes, and he is. And still yeah. putting out information. Oh, yes. gosh. Yeah. In fact, um, I, I just shared yesterday in a presentation about he had actually coined the term um, amygdala hijack. Yeah. And it's only been in the last couple of months. He came back and he goes, I, I got it wrong. And he puts this right on LinkedIn. I got it wrong. It's, you know, there's so much more um, to that emotional overwhelm than just the amygdala. It starts with the amygdala, but so much more is involved, the hypothalamus and, and the hippocampus and, and so forth. And so, um, uh, you know, and that's the mark of a good leader too, who's willing to say, you know what? I didn't get it right that time, you know? Right. But uh, and I know that uh, there have been a lot of um, development uh, based on his concepts, um, but I'd like to take it back to the basic four. Uh, emotional intelligence is really that, again, self-awareness, how well do I know myself, self-management, how well do I manage myself, uh, other awareness, or also called social awareness, how well do I read other people, and then knowing all that, how do I manage that relationship, relationship management. So those are the four key quadrants in Again, the, the way the brain works, we actually do better when we deal with two, three, or four things. We can sometimes deal with five, but we, we even, there are things I've worked with for years that's like, what's that fifth one again? You know, it's like, well, I'll have to look it up because I don't remember. And our brains right. just work that way. So I like to keep to the basics. And again, just recently, he he came up with a, um, a evolved model of his four quadrants and broke it down, broke each of them down into subsections of well, what does that mean with relationship management? What does this mean about other awareness? And so it's much more um, illustrative, I think, and much more helpful for those of us who want to learn more about that in developing our, our EQ. And I think the other important thing there is that as professionals, we need to keep up with what what are the shifting dynamics? What are we learning now that we didn't know two years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago? I mean, I think about when I trained to be a therapist in the early 80s. Oh my goodness, is there hardly anything that's the same now as there was then? You know, we'd learn, we've learned so much more. So how do we keep our curious brain? How do we keep knowing ourselves through also through what's being offered and how does that impact us? I think that's just part of the responsibility of being a helping professional. Absolutely. And and not just a helping professional, but I would say any professional, you know, if you really want to be good at what you do, you know, if I had my way, everybody would have to take psychology and everybody would have to develop their emotional intelligence. So, um, yeah, because I know, like you said, you know, I, I also um, was going through my master's work in the early 80s. And um, then I went back for my doctorate in the early 2010s. And so a whole world of difference in terms of what we know and understand, you know, uh, the neuroscience behind how the brain works and, and, and then how to apply that knowledge to what shows up for people. So I have to admit, I probably do more reading and researching now in the uh, last five to 10 years than I did for my 30 years of career before I went back to my doctoral program. So I'm always learning and reading and, you know, scouring things. Whenever I'm going to do a presentation, I'm out there. Okay. What, what new developments happened? What can I bring in to keep it current? And uh, LinkedIn's a great source of that, getting connected with other professional coaching associations, uh, being kept in the loop with irrelevant articles, um, all part of learning, living and growing. Well, and I'm so appreciative that you were willing to bring your expertise here, your continuous learning curve, and really help us 
think about how are we using our emotional intelligence? How are we helping our clients use their emotional intelligence? Are we really talking? Are we communicating? Are we, are we talking or are we really communicating? And that, you know, the reality is, yes, we're going to get hijacked, but how do we respond to that? So as we're closing out our time together, anything that I left on the table that you want to be sure that uh, we explore? I would, uh, if people haven't already, I would really encourage um, people to do a deeper dive into emotional intelligence. Daniel Goleman's big book is big. Yes. <laughs> uh, definitely using my doctoral studies. There is another book that I would encourage people to take a look at. Uh, it's called Emotional Intelligence 2.0. Very readable. So it gives you a good dive. And and when you purchase the book, um, you get access to taking their online assessment and and uh, which is used in research. Um, we actually know that CEOs uh, are among those who have some of the lower emotional intelligence. And so they've got some nice stats in from their many years of research. And that comes out of a company called Talent Smart. And I also invite people to um, visit my website because I encourage people to go ahead and take the three steps to mindset shift. Shift. They are very quick, easy, you get immediate results and uh, using them as learning tools. And so that to me is actually the first step. One is an EQ uh, mini assessment, another one's communication styles assessment, and then a conflict management styles assessment. And so if you don't know where you are in all those things, then how are you can help your clients? Because we need to know ourselves first. So right. we will have links for all of those things that Deborah brought forward, including her YouTube video to show you how to use that technique. Deborah, it was such a joy to spend time with oh, you and to, you. to just bask in your knowledge and challenge us to communicate differently to help people be their best and so that we can show up as our best. Yeah. And uh, thank you so much, Meg. It's just been a delight. We've had, always had so much fun talking. So this has been another fun opportunity. And um, I would just like to end with one note. And this comes out of my research on um, compassion and uh, based on the words of the Dalai Lama is that when, when we reframe compassion into warm heartedness, you know, it's a sensation that not only makes the other person feel better and healthier, it also feeds back to us in terms of um, enhancing our own health and well-being. Brilliant. Now, you also have a podcast. So why don't you invite people also to uh, listen to your podcast? Yes, thank you. And I hope that you'll be my guest on on I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Yeah. And, And so, um, we call it decoding the conflict mindset. And so I do invite thought leaders from different uh, professional areas to, to bring in their insights, learnings, and gleanings from uh, working with people. And uh, and there's been a whole host of um, applications, whether it's working with people in in, in divorce and real estate, uh, working with um, elders in you know transitional uh, living and planning um, as they go from one phase of life into the latter stages of life. Whether it's leadership and working with teams, I just had someone an intergenerational conflict in the workplace. Um, you know, so it really uh, a lot of good tidbits and, and ideas from from lots of other really um, wonderful speakers and thought leaders um, to share and to be able to apply to um, uh, our listeners' own coaching clientele. Love it. We'll have a link for that also in the show notes. Decoding the conflict conversation, correct? Decoding a conflict mindset. Mindset, mindset. Okay, see, that's why we asked to clarify. All right. (laughs) So thank you so much. You have a wonderful day. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.
So there we go. Another expert sharing incredibly helpful information about how we engage with conflict and to help others figure out how to engage in a way that we're communicating instead of just talking to people. I want to thank Dr. Deborah Dupree for joining us. My conversation with Deborah continues in the membership community. If you're interested in being a part of our lively, robust community, check it out at starcoachshow.com, front page, explore membership. Next week, I'm excited to introduce you to Allison Scott. Allison is a lifestyle coach who's going to be talking to us about whether your healthcare habits are impacting your bottom line. So good. You're going to want to be there for that. As we close out the show today, I just want to let you know that you listening to the show means so much to me and hopefully forwards your movement as a coach. So if it does that, please consider sharing the show with other people who can learn and grow from what our experts are sharing. Until next week, this is Meg Rentschler wishing you the very best for your coaching success. Have a fantastic week.